pitch explodes. What was your mindset when you stepped in the batter's box? Go yard. I mean, <laughs> I'm a pitcher. Why not swing as hard as I can? He was so worked up, he vomited on the sideline and then just kept on yelling at his teammates, Steve. Coach. <laughs> <laughs> Minshew mania, the mustache sensation has taken over Pullman. Well, I don't know. I don't even think he had a mustache when I recruited him. I don't recall. Becoming a sideline reporter for ESPN didn't make me popular. This thing did. I've been getting offers for it all day long. All right, guys, here we go. We're going to have one team, one heartbeat. All right, now we're going to play for each other. We're going to have each other's back. We're going to win this ball game. One team, one heartbeat. Here we go. go. That might be the best sideline report in the history of sideline reports. <laughs> Into Sideline Pass podcast, the usual cast of characters, Allison, Molly, and Chris with you to recap week two of college football and look ahead to the weekend coming up here. Um, but first of all, I got to call myself out for something I said on the first podcast of this season. We're going to file this under the cheap wine section because it didn't age well. But here's, here's where I'm really going to throw one at you. Most people would think it'd be Oregon, right? I don't know. I think it could come from the South and I think it could be USC because of the quarterback. Keaton Slovis, you guys, is a freaking yeah. stud. He yeah. doesn't, he completes 70% of his passes. He's got his offensive line back. I just feel like this is the year that USC could really come back. So, yeah, not so much USC. They lose <laughs> week two to Stanford, get absolutely manhandled by a Cardinal team that lost to Kansas State the week before. And now Clay Helton is unemployed. So fun times. Obviously, that did not age well. Yeah, I think the USC completely um, faltering week two. And also you see like with Oregon and Ohio State, I think it's a really good example that we can't look at 2020 as a real example of how good teams are this year. Like the preseason rankings don't matter. 2020 wasn't a real year. You can't look at what USC did in 2020. They, I think they went something like five and one. I don't need, yeah, they went five. Yeah. And one they went undefeated in the regular season. Yeah. And they were one of the best teams in the PAC 12. So everyone thinks that they're ranked and they're a top 15 team. No, 2020 was a total fluke. This wasn't a USC team that was good enough, you know, to be in the top 20 even. And I mean, we have people picking them for the playoff like you, Allison, but it's because we didn't know. It's because last year <laughs> hey, McGrath, was your such team a lost fluky two, year. Okay. Ohio State lost two, two of Pac-12 teams. So now I'm just going to go back to the North and go with Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, 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 I applaud you at least for taking a chance because Molly over here just took the top four and ran with it. So <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah. Thank However, you, totally. we might be back in the cheap wine section next week uh, on this podcast if Cincinnati loses to Indiana. So, you know, who the hell knows? Well, the, the other thing joke too. real fast, my favorite yeah. joke over the weekend was, is it possible to get tarmacked at a home game? Uh, when, cause Lane got fired on the yeah. tarmac. Yeah. See, that's um, the thing. USC was just looking for an excuse to hire, yeah. to fire Clay Helton. I, I remember asking him after like one of their first games of the season in 2019 about his job security. Like we've been asking Clay Helton about his job security for years now. They were just looking for an excuse when they lost to Stanford. They were like, Oh, here's our out. Here's our excuse. Clay Helton, you're gone. 
And I think too, Molly, you're absolutely right. Especially with the new AD there from the deal Lynn Swan gave him and stuff. Um, he's been on the hot seat for a while and I think they didn't want to give him a chance to redeem himself. So they had to pull the trigger now because the timing is weird, right? Week two. Yeah. It's a bad home loss. Mm -hmm. It's embarrassing, all that stuff. But I think there was a little bit of, okay, if we let this season play out and we know he isn't our guy, like we have determined that and we let our, the season play out and they redeem themselves or, or, or somehow, you know, finish out and have a decent season, then they still got to keep a guy they don't want to keep. Right. So you kind of have to do it now because you just don't know what's going to happen the rest of the season. But wow, like did not see that coming. <laughs> have, have you guys seen all of the memes about Urban Meyer? So Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, things aren't going the way that they wanted them to go. They've had a really bad start to the season. And there are reports that he's considering resigning in Jacksonville because his heart isn't in it. I don't know how accurate oh, those reports are, but people are talking about him leaving the NFL and then the USC job is open and everyone's like, hmm, wonder what Urban Meyer is going to do there. So we were talking about this on the radio this week um, because Urban Meyer, Wright Thompson did an incredible essay on Urban about like how he handles loss and then like he physically and mentally cannot handle it, like loses weight, becomes sick. Like he went through that, that time at Florida where he was Florida, like, undefeated yeah. for two seasons and it got to the point he like, wasn't even enjoying wins. He wouldn't even go into the locker room because he became so obsessed with winning. That's like how I, I never understood. This is like a, a way down the line, like off, off topic, but why he ever went to the NFL in the first place, because I don't care who you are. Like Bill Belichick has lost 140 games. So mm -hmm. like, what did you think was going to happen going to the Jags? And you, you probably, don't get to go and recruit your guys. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. you're not doing it all. You're not the GM. You're not the head. Like, you kind of have full reign if you're the head coach in college football. You get to find your guys. He, yes, I agree. I think that is a very, very bizarre fit for him. But I'm kind of like, you know what, Urban? Can 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 you can you just call yourself out on that then? Because this whole every time things go wrong, I have to do what's best for my health and like, oh, my heart isn't it? Like, come on, bullshit. Do you know what I mean like things aren't going the way you want and you don't know how to deal with it or there, there's something out there like I'm kind of over him playing this card whenever things aren't exactly how he wants them to be whether it was when he left Florida or now with Jacksonville it's just weird and I, why are people so obsessed with him at USC I don't get that either well he he's a big name and I think they think he could be the savior of their program um but back to his health stuff like if he has real health issues then he needs to acknowledge that and take care of himself. Right. Yeah. If he, if he doesn't, and, and if I, I, I don't know, like the, I agree, Allison, the back and forth is really confusing. And I, with the USC thing, I don't know why they're so obsessed with him. I do know though, I'm going to give a little bit of love to Clay Helton in the sense that was he the right guy for USC long-term? No. Was he the right guy to bring them back into national prominence? No, he wasn't. He didn't do his job in that sense, but he brought stability, right? They were coming off of like controversial coaching hires and a lot of controversy and everything going on. And he was like stable, steady Eddie. He's like the guy that, I don't know, that you date in high school that you don't like that much, but he takes really good care of you and he likes you and he's safe. That your he's parents safe. love. 
your parents love them, so you'll stay with them. But like, there's a hotter guy in your other class, who's, like way better. <laughs> His name is Urban Meyer. You're really into him, but you'll stay with Clay because he brings you flowers every he's week. He's such it's a like, good guy. He's such a good guy. It's like, well, guess what? In college football, nice guys finish last. Sorry. Except for Luke Fickle. And I like, I know I'm like, do you like a, him for USC? Because that's no, but I there. love what he I okay. love what he said today is it's not always greener on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I love that he knows his place. And he know like Cincinnati is now gonna be part of the Big 12. So like I know like I can recruit this region, you know, the the state, the, all around there in the upper northeast. Why would I go take a shot? He's turned down so many jobs because he knows what works. He knows it's not necessarily greener on the other side. And I'm going to continue my bandwagon of Cincinnati and Luke Fickle because I just love him. I would file Matt Campbell under that category too at Iowa State. I don't see him jumping for USC. Um, Obviously, money talks and they'll have plenty of that to throw around. Can I throw a name out there that I'm kind of like, hmm, what about, what about a Bob Stoops? Maybe like being in the broadcasting chair and being on TV and being back in stadiums and around teams and facilities. Maybe he gets the itch again and he's like, like urban. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm I saying. See I that. think there's something when you're in it, but you're not, and you have the vantage point of a broadcaster. You don't have to deal with the agony of the wins and the losses, but you get to be around teams and coaches and players and, and the game and you start to see it again. And I could see him maybe making that move. That's what happened coaching. with Mac Brown. That's what happened with exactly. Mac. Exactly. Yes. Like yes. Mac, Mac stopped coaching because the, the wins were no longer fun and the losses absolutely gutted him. Like he, mm-hmm. I think for his health too, he had to stop coaching. He wasn't having fun anymore. He took a step back, started broadcasting and it renewed his love for the game. And he got to see things from the other side to see like, oh, the media is not after me. Like people aren't out to get me. And it completely changed the way that he deals with the media. Maybe it's the same thing with Bob Stoops. And Bob Stoops is working for Fox Sports, which is based out in LA. LA. Um, one of the, the VPs there, Jacob Ullman, he's the guy who got me my job at Fox <laughs> Sports and Fox Sports One. He's a USC die hard. So like, oh, you let's know, start the Bob Stoops to USC rumor. Yes. You know that <laughs> Jacob Ullman is probably like, so Bob, what do you think about the USC opening? You know that he's like angling, trying to talk him into it. I don't, I don't know. I think he would yeah, be good the way, fit. The way Stoops left the game was so unceremonious. Yeah. It yeah. almost was like a blip on the bottom line that people didn't really talk about a ton. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like it. I, I like that. I like him or Urban. I think it's like those are two uh, really good fits. Granted, Urban is going to have to deal with losing. It's They're not going to win right away. He's yeah. going to have to Even deal with, with sunshine. that. Yeah. So anyway, um, I want to get to your games this past weekend. Um, Chris, let's start with you. Obviously not a great game, but a tremendous performance by Florida offensively. We saw both quarterbacks play, including Anthony Richardson, break it down for me. What was your impression of how Mullen plans to deal with both quarterbacks? Cause if anybody can play too, it's, it's Dan Mullen, right? Um, what do you think his kind of plan is for the quarterbacks. What will we see this weekend when they play Alabama? Like break, break it all down for me with the Gators. Yeah. I wish I could tell you what their plan would be. Cause um, Dan Mullen gives you nothing. He's like, so over the quarterback question, but like you did it to yourself. Here's what's interesting. So Emory Jones been there for three years to, you know, learn under Trask and, you know, he, 
earn the job, but he just doesn't make great decisions. And you saw that throughout the game. And then this freshman, Anthony Richardson, comes in. And he is, guys, during warm-ups, first of all, he's like 230s, big guy. When he throws, it looks like he's barely touching the ball and it zips 60 yards, okay? So there he is in warm-ups, throwing, all of a sudden runs down the field for the huddle and does a round-off backflip. And we're like, what the? I saw that. That was amazing. He is so good. So then they put him in and he has this like incredible 70 yard touchdown and then they don't bring him back. And then they bring him in the third quarter. They just take him out because his helmet came off for a play. And then they kept Emory Jones in. And then Emory Jones had two interceptions and they're still not going back to Richardson. And Dan Orlovsky is very vocal on the sidelines. Like if I'm Richardson and you see the guy in front of you throw two picks, you're like, why am I not going in? And he was an incredible teammate and just sat there and has smiled and went along with it. But You know, like this is like these two games were a learning process for Mullen of like what he's got in his quarterbacks. But in my opinion, you make a decision and you go with Richardson. And I tried asking him about it in the post game. I was like, I knew last week when Cole Kublik asked about the quarterbacks, it did not go well. Even the sideline reporter, like the uh, the radio guy came up to me. and He's like, good luck asking about the quarterbacks (laughs) afterwards. He's like, I'm not going to do it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I can softball it up that gives him you know, not like you have to choose. So I phrased the question was, you told us that these two games gave you a chance to learn about your team before Alabama. So what'd you learn about your quarterbacks today? And he looked a great way to put it. Yeah. He goes, I learned a lot. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, I would want to challenge him and be like, no, just tell me what you learned. You don't have to tell me who you're going with, but what did you learn about these two guys? So he then went on a tangent about something else. And I was like, so, so I just want to put this out there. You're not going to tell me anything. Did you, (laughs) did you get this sense in meetings, Chris, that he was open to playing both or that he wanted to have one quarterback? I get the, the sense that he wants to play both. I mean, his thing was, I don't know why people put such big stock on who's the starter, like who goes out there for the first play of the game. I think part of it is you also want to, keep a little hidden from Saban, you know, right. so that he doesn't yeah. know what you have coming in this week. Uh, and make, would it, make sh- him prepare for both. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, I would be shocked if we didn't see more of Richardson just because of the way that he played and because of the poor decision-making like Emory Jones, like he, he, he got his, you know, butt handed to him from, from mm-hmm. Mullen being like, not only is it bad decision-making, you're, you're waiting too long. You're waiting too long. Like step and throw um, the ball. So hmm. Jones is obviously the more veteran player, so I can see why he went with him. With Richardson, is could you tell in the meetings, do you think it was because he doesn't know the playbook well enough? Like, is it because he's too green? Like, why would they not go with him? It tell, That tells me there's something going on with, like, his understanding of the offense. I, I think part of it was, like, Emery sat and, and waited his time for three years and earned it. Um And I think maybe it's hard to tell, you know, until you start playing a game, the decision making and he, and it was not good the first game and it wasn't great the second game. And so now that you've gotten two full games to understand, you know, where his flaws are, um, I didn't get the sense that Richardson was behind in terms of his understanding of the playbook, but I also would not be surprised if we just saw two quarterbacks the rest of the time. I mean, Mullen's done it before. 
I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if we just saw it the rest of the time. If anyone can pull it off, it's him. That just, that concerns me, especially against Alabama's defense, right? One of the best defenses in the country. I mean, they'll prepare for both, but they're going to eat these guys up. And <laughs> yeah. they say, they say when you have two quarterbacks, you have none. I, I think there is an importance in getting behind a guy, right? Like going behind yeah. Trask and Trask being the guy was really but important because he was the leader. Even with Trask though, he would bring Jones in in certain situations, whether yeah. it be red zone or what have you. So I do think there's something about the way Dan Mullen can manage quarterbacks. Like we saw when he was a quarterback, do that. And I think there's space for that to maybe make one your primary guy and work the other guy in. Um, either way, Saturday is going to be a whole different ball game for the Gators. Uh, this from at the home. I'm looking up the spread. It's already 15 and a half. Is it? Yeah. I mean, Chris, do you think that Florida is good enough to even hang with Alabama? I think they'll put up points. Um, I don't know if defensively they can stop um, Alabama. I mean, yeah. 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 All right. So that's going to be a great game to watch before we leave the state of Florida. And I want to, I want to get your thoughts on Michigan Mali, but before we leave the state of Florida, I got to take it down to Miami gardens. We would not be a college football podcast <laughs> if we did not talk about the cat at the hurricanes game. Oh my I gosh. have never been so proud to be a cane in my life. as when <laughs> That entire crowd erupted because the cat was okay. Nobody knew that cat that cat didn't belong to anybody, but they celebrated like, I don't know. It was, it was their own little kitty cat that just got saved. So the fact that they use an American flag was just too good. <laughs> and then, um, the reaction, the drama, obviously what was going on in the field also a little more dramatic than I would have liked, but, um, your guys's reaction to the cat saga down in, uh, down in Miami. I have more questions than anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, like I understand that, that animals and cats get into stadiums because there's vermin and mice and things there and it's shelter and whatever. How is this cat <laughs> dangling on the ledge? Like how trying to get away from people trying to catch it up there. Maybe, That's a crazy, maybe, man. but, but also I noticed I, I did a lot of investigative work and I, I watched a lot of tape on this and the cat was wearing a collar. That cat belongs to someone. That is Look not at a you, feral Ace cat. Seriously. I'm like, whose poor cat is that? That's bubbles. That's bubbles <laughs> over there dangling and getting caught. And like, did you see? Are you sure great. it had a collar? Are you yes, sure? A blue collar. Yes. It had a blue collar on. And like, what? my mind was blown. I was like, this is someone's cat. Someone's cat. It's one of those, you know, cats that like, oh yeah, Bubbles comes and goes. We don't see her for two days. She always comes home, like blah, blah, blah. Something like that. Can you imagine being the owner of that cat, watching that on TV or watching that on social media saying, oh my God, I think that's Bubbles. Wow. So <laughs> that's why she's bubbles. so skittish lately. Like <laughs> it's just, and then after they caught the cat in the flag, someone manhandled it and held the it up. Simba like moment. Simba the moment. Simba moment. Like, <laughs> stop manhandling this poor cat. The whole thing just like, kind of upset me to be honest. I felt so bad. <laughs> so I was kind of traumatized because I'm like, put yourself in the situation of the cat. Like first That's of all, you're saying. freaking out because you're about to fall off a building and then you get caught and then you're trying to get away. You can tell like this cat's like, I don't want to be picked up by you, dude, and oh, shown no, off to like a hundred thousand people. 
And then apparently um, someone from The Athletic, I forget who, did a story well, on it. Probably Nicole. It like then urinated all over everybody. Yeah. Because it was no, so it was freaked peeing. out. Well, when it was hanging from the net. <laughs> it was dangling. I probably pee too. So come on. Like a cat may have nine lives and land well, but that was a long way to fall. Um, yeah, it was just hilarious. I love how that totally went viral. And that was the moment that defined the Miami game, not them almost getting beat by App State. <laughs> I was thankful for that distraction. I'm um, a resident cat person. <laughs> no, it was hilarious. I do kind of wonder where it is now, though. Like, did bubbles get returned? We need to find that out um, for next week. I have nothing yeah. to do this week. Maybe I'll look into it. So, Molly, you were in Ann Arbor um, at Michigan. And I wanted to ask you, because I was watching your game and you did a phenomenal job and you referenced the signs all over Schembechler Hall about what are you doing today to beat Ohio State? And, and I think it was what our, I don't know, one of our last podcasts, Chris, you mentioned how the guys were talking about Ohio State and Molly, your reaction was like, what? No way. They're already looking towards the end of the year. And I thought to myself, have you ever done a game at Ohio State or Michigan at Ohio State or Michigan before this? No, that was my first time. So that's what's different about this rivalry. If you went down to Columbus, there's countdown clocks all over their weight room and in their hallway to the Michigan game. And there's, mm-hmm. there's references to that game all year. And I, I honestly cannot think of another rivalry, especially in college football, um, that is like that. Like, the, no. like that game is marked from the beginning. It's not you know, Oh, one game at a time and one week at a time. And all those cliches you hear like that game matters all year. So kind of give me your, um, your impressions of realizing just how much that rivalry is prevalent throughout the season, even, even in, in week two, you know, when they're, when they're facing Washington. Yeah. Chris, you can speak to this too. Cause you, you covered them two weeks ago, but I, I read some articles that said that they had signs all over Schembechler hall that said, what are you doing to beat Ohio state today? And they were there all off season and they were there even, even now ahead of the Washington game. It says, what are you doing to beat Ohio state today? And I asked players about it and they said, yeah, it's not just about, you know, winning on Saturdays. It's about watching film on Sundays. It's about practicing hard on Mondays. It's about doing all the little things to better ourselves because our goal. And a lot of the reasons why a lot of those seniors came back guys like Aiden Hutchinson came back to beat Ohio state because they'd never done it before. They'd never like, I think it was Aiden Hutchinson or Josh Ross who told me, you know, I've never beaten Ohio state. I've never won a bowl game. Like the fact that those seniors have never won a bowl game at Michigan, Mm -hmm. at Michigan, that just shows what a roller coaster it's been in years past, but they do everything they do is to better themselves, to be able to beat Ohio state, November 27th. Everything is leading up to that. Like Washington, it wasn't, okay, we really need to beat Washington. It's, we need to better ourselves during this game so that we can beat Ohio State. And I thought I did see a really good Michigan team. I thought, you know, they've gotten to this like new, um, this new identity of smash mouth football. They're going to utilize some big bodies up front, add some extra blockers in, and they're just going to run the football down your throats. And I thought that that was effective. It worked well. It's kind of what Jim Harbaugh used to do like back at Stanford. He did some of it with the 49ers as well. So he's going back to his roots of like the kind of offense that he wants to employ. But I think in order to beat Ohio State, granted, we don't know, maybe Ohio State stinks because they just lost last weekend. But in order to beat Ohio State or win the big games, they need to be able to pass the football better. 
Like they just did absolutely nothing in the passing game. So that was the one thing that I saw with Michigan where I was like, Hmm, they're really good at running the ball, but they do, they do need to be a little more, uh, you know, three-dimensional they they need to bring a little bit more in their passing game but it was a pretty good team and I will say I don't know if you experienced this Chris but Jim Harbaugh seemed pretty like loose and happy and relaxed and in speaking to some of his coaches and people who know him they said that he's tried to be more personable and a better people person which I could tell he was making more of a concerted effort isn't that cute it's like oh you know you're awkward you're working on it that's nice (laughs) He also like talked to us about how he's been working out more. I don't know if you saw this piece of video, but he was like pushing a sled at practice. And he was like, listen, I saw myself and I looked at the coaches and I hired this young coaching staff. And I realized like, Hey, maybe I should, you know, start working out more, pay a little bit more attention to my body. And he said, we were like, so are you enjoying the working out? And he's like, I think uh, you look at working out in like three phases. There's like, I hate it. I tolerate it. I enjoy it. And he's like, I'm in the tolerate uh, section. But it was funny when you mentioned like the rivalry of Ohio State, Michigan, it's also like so much ingrained in families and generations. Because when I talk with Aiden Hutchinson and his reason to come back, like when he talks about his dad and his, you know, his dad was an All-American there and but the first thing he'll say is my dad beat Ohio state twice. And so yeah. you, you get that sense that it's, it's not just them. It becomes like so much legacy more of a family blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, hey, can I, I think one other thing that I've learned uh, in the past couple of weeks is that either I'm getting older or college football coaches are getting younger. This is now twice in back-to-back weeks. Molly, you interviewed Mike McDonald. He's like 34. He doesn't have a single wrinkle or gray hair. It's like he's, he's- a spring chicken. He's a newlywed. <laughs> he just got married. Yeah. He's like, I, he sits in front of me and I'm like, are you a GA? Like he's yeah. so <laughs> young. Yeah, he has not been through the gauntlet yet. And then I interviewed for South Florida. Their offensive coordinator is Charlie Weiss Jr., who then, oh, like, interviewing him, I was like, are you are you eligible to drive? I was like, <laughs> what? I all of a sudden, I am now all older than the assistant coaches. We're getting old, ladies. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> Speaking of GAs, you, Molly, probably have, like, the best story in college football with your game this weekend. I am so intrigued to, to hear about the Zeb Noland um, at South Carolina, who was hired to be a GA. And next thing you know, he's their starting quarterback. Uh, will he play against Georgia? Is Luke Dottie healthy enough? Like, how cool is this story? And can are we please going to tell it even if he doesn't play? Because it's just freaking awesome. It, I think it's the best story in college football right now. Right. hundred percent. Or maybe, yeah. maybe Mackenzie Milton, but yeah, that's or Mackenzie there. Milton. But the, the shine of that has gone down because they lost to what True. Jacksonville state. Oh my God. That was, <laughs> that was another viral moment. Did you see the cheerleaders laughing? And so shocked? bad. How about, so the, bad. how about the player po- still proposing to his girlfriend after he just lost? Stop. Maybe, maybe Stop. audible and, and, and propose <laughs> tomorrow. Maybe don't do it on the field after a loss with Jacksonville state. celebrating behind you. That's like, that is not a good sign for that marriage anyway. Um, yeah. So Zeb Nolan, so he was at North Dakota state Mm -hmm. and then where was he before that again? I should know this. Um, was it Iowa? He was at Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Iowa state. Iowa state. State? I think, I think it was Iowa state. And then, um, I could be wrong, whatever. I'm going to know that (laughs) before Saturday, but anyway, (laughs) it's early in the week. 
Yeah. It's early in the week, but he's like a lifelong backup. He's backed up all of these program defining quarterbacks and these like amazing quarterbacks. And so he's never really gotten his moment. And so then he says, I want to be a coach. He joins the South Carolina staff as a graduate assistant. And then their quarterback, Luke Doty, goes down with a, I think it's a foot injury right before the season starts. So like two, three weeks before the season, he starts taking reps as the starting quarterback. Zeb Nolan does going from GA to quarterback because he still had eligibility. I think that's like, if that doesn't make you love college football, I don't know what does. That story is incredible. Can you imagine being him? It's like 9.30 at night, breaking down practice film, doing your cut-ups, and Shane Beamer knocks on the door like, hey, bud, yeah, can, can I chat with you real quick? <laughs> like, we need an extra body. What? This is so cool. Insane. Absolutely insane, especially coming from, like, North Dakota State, and then now you're suiting up in the SEC. You're getting ready to and take on two Georgia. And they're 2-0. And they're 2-0. I don't yeah. care who you played. You're 2-0. Come on. Yeah. It's yeah, freaking awesome. absolutely. And so um, I don't know who's going to start. So we have meetings with the uh, players on Thursday and they're making both quarterbacks available. So it's going to awesome. be one of those. It's going to, so we'll get to talk to both of them, which will be great, but I have a feeling. So that plus the fact that JT Daniels has that oblique injury and Stetson Bennett looked really good last week for Georgia. I think I'm walking into a game where we won't know the quarterback for either team pregame, which I freaking love i love that <laughs> shit i love walking onto a field and who's gonna be the quarterback today it's up to me to find out and then i just stalk people and i'm super annoying to the coaches and everyone hates me but the booth likes it because i get them information so i'm like super excited about all the questions swirling with this game and who's going to be at the quarterback position it's it's all that is such a fun storyline to cover unless you're covering a Michigan game, right, Molly? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and Jim Harbaugh looks at you and just plainly says, "I'm not going to tell you that." <laughs> when you ask him whose quarterback is, oh, sorry, coach. So yeah, well, I I think there are a lot of really good storylines surrounding this game, especially the fact that the last time South Carolina was in Athens was 2019. I did that game unbelievable and they won mm-hmm. that game and they were so they were 20 something point underdogs for this game they're 30 plus point underdogs right now yeah so that game was nuts and Blankenship missed those field goals it was like double overtime um it was insane insane yeah yeah, yeah. no that'll be fun I I um, hope it'll be just as good a game we'll see Probably not. Yeah. Georgia's we'll probably a little better this year than they were two years ago, but you never know. There's always hope you deserve, you need a good game. You haven't had the best, most competitive games the first couple of weeks. No. Me Chris, either. Yeah, you too. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to probably have You're not going to get week. it. Yeah. Sorry. What, what are you Tech doing fans. this week? Uh, Clemson hosting Georgia Tech. But yeah. you'll still be in Death Valley, which is amazing. Yeah. Which will be exciting. And um, first chance to cover DJ Uyunglele this season. So. You got it It'll down. be good to see a guy like him in person. I like yeah. watching people like him in person, especially like just seeing what he's like with his teammates on the sidelines, you know, mm-hmm. like covering Bryce young, he was exactly what I expected him to be, but seeing him on the sidelines and how much he like belonged and how good he looked with that team just as a leader gives me so much more perspective and context in covering, you know, this Alabama team, by the way, remember when I said that this is like the most relaxed Nick Saban has ever been. And then he absolutely (laughs) jumps down his players throats this past week. He must've like, maybe he listens to the podcast and he's like, I was going to say Molly, 
Were yeah. you were you shopping in the cheap wine section too? Because that didn't age very well either. Like, no, I was laughing not. so hard. There's gonna be a reckoning. I'm like, wait a minute, no, David. <laughs> we told you you were chill and happy and like you know loosey goosey. This no, no, no absolutely chance. Absolutely not. Yeah, I failed. Can I say uh, <laughs> on a, on a tangent of one of the things that I um, loved this weekend and that was actually super hard to cover was all the 9/11 tributes. Because we were on ABC and we followed five hours worth of tributes. And so we come onto the air with it. I did a, we were able to get video. And this was one of the favorite things that I uh, got to get in this weekend was, so our game was in Tampa, but over in Gainesville, they did a stair climb for the 110 stories for the World Trade Center, 1980 uh, stairs and the firefighters dressed in the, their full gear. We had video of it to show. But during halftime, both teams' bands did a performance together on the field. And they oh. did Amazing Grace and God Bless America. And then the fans oh. all started chanting USA, USA. And like I had a I had a hard time recovering after that. It was it was really cool to be a part of. And Molly, like your game was packed and had a huge American flag. It was, it was cool to see the nation come together on that. It there, it was definitely, um, a really good balance of memorializing these things, but it was also a celebration, you know, mm-hmm. of how much we love our country and like the pregame stuff at the big house. It was, you know, over 108,000 people. It was absolutely packed. That's one of the best atmospheres I think I've ever seen or been a part of like the, a night game. And did you, Allison, I don't know if you knew this. Do you guys know there are only like 10 night games? Yeah. Yeah. They the didn't ever have lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There are no night games there. So no. it was really, it was really cool to see all the people there. They're chanting USA. They had a huge American flag and then they had a flyover from some F-16s. Like that kind of stuff was really, really special. And it just puts it into perspective, you know, just, I don't know. It, it I, I can't even speak to it because it's just, yeah, it was, yeah. it was, um, it just, this year felt different, right? I think being 20 years and where our country is at right now and some of the divisiveness that's taken place. And I just think this, this year and this anniversary resonated a little differently and realizing too, 20 years is a long time. And a lot of those kids, mm-hmm. you know, weren't even alive and the, the sense of obligation you feel to make sure that we truly never forget and teach future generations what happened that day. And, and what the country looked like in the days after it, because it was some of, it was probably one of the darkest days in our history, but I think some of the brightest times emerged after that. And I hope, I hope people can be reminded of that too. So um, I say we leave everybody with that and um, I wish you two best of luck this weekend at your respective games. Um, Molly, enjoy the quarterback drama. I'm gonna, you know, I love that. <laughs> I know <stuff>. you will. <laughs> Chris, enjoy Death Valley and the SO Club and try not to have too much fun with um Bob and Dan and the whole crew. Make sure you know you have to kind of I was with that crew for a long time. So you know you have to um you have to be Bobby's dinner date, table for two. I know it's your role. Dan doesn't eat lunch or breakfast. He also he's the weirdest eater. It's Chipotle, and that's pretty much it. Chicken fingers to touch up, maybe. He's like a ten-year-old. Yeah, seriously, he really is. I I gotta, I gotta be my my beer game's gotta be better though if I'm gonna hang with with shoes in. Bob doesn't care if you drink beer. He will drink beer. You can drink whatever you want. Trust me. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, ladies, enjoy your games this weekend. It was so good to see your beautiful faces as always. And we will catch you guys on the next episode of the Sideline Pass Podcast. Thank you guys for listening to the Sideline Pass Podcast. Don't forget to download, rate, and review, and we will see you next week.